Amen. If you guys have your Bible today, you can open up to 2 Thessalonians, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. That's where we're going to be today. Um, thankful once again, as always, for Caleb and friends to lead us in worship and um, you know, call us to remember the victory that's been given to us through Christ. And um, glad that we're going to be able to speak a little bit more specifically about that from today's text. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Um, some of you will remember this, some of you weren't born yet, but in 1972, a Christian movie came out called A Thief in the Night, all right? Some of you, I got some oh yeses over here, some people remember this movie. Um, this movie was all about Christ's return, uh, the events surrounding Christ's return, the rapture happened, uh, Christians were just gone, airplanes were crashing, lawnmowers were left running in people's yards. You know, the government in this movie made up all sorts of uh, theories about what happened and um, they established kind of a one world order. And in the movie, if you didn't take the government established community mark, right, the mark of the beasts, then uh, you couldn't get food or supplies or the things that you needed. And uh, if you refused to take the mark, eventually the government would kind of hunt you down, throw you in the back of a wagon and, and arrest you. Um, and if, if after being arrested in this movie, if you didn't take the mark of the beast, then they would chop your head off on a guillotine or a guillotine, however you pronounce it. Um, I watched this movie in the 80s, okay? I was a kid. It was rated G, of course, Christian movie. Um, but I grew up having moments where I was totally scared that I had missed Christ's coming and the rapture, right? Not just because of that movie, but also in the church I was in, kind of t taught about those things. But I remember growing up having these memories as a kid of like going through my house and for whatever reason, my parents were outside, my brother wasn't there and I was alone in the house. And I remember freaking out like, oh no, did I miss the rapture? You know, maybe some of you guys had those, those moments. Oh no, I've been left behind, you know. Um, I had those moments of being scared that I missed Christ's coming. And today's text that we're going to get into, it was written to people who felt very similar to that. They felt that they had missed Christ's coming. This is uh, week three of our sermon series through the, the letter of, called Second Thessalonians. Let me just say this forthrightly. If you were here last week and you came back this week, thank you. Praise God. Uh, last week's passage was tough. I think it's one of the most severe passages in the entire New Testament, all about the judgment that Christ will bring when he comes again. Not necessarily an easy passage to work through, not necessarily uh, a fun passage to work through, but you know, as we've said over and over again, this is part of why we preach straight through books of the Bible, because we need all of God's word, not just the preferred parts of it, Right? So we're going to go through it. I'm glad you came here today so we can get into God's word together. Um, today's text is, once again, uh, strongly about the second coming of Christ. Both 1 Thessalonians, like we studied months ago, and 2 Thessalonians teach us about Christ's return. And the events surrounding Christ's return are fascinating, they're sobering, they're exciting, um, but they certainly can be difficult to understand. Uh, maybe that's the way that some of you feel coming into a church service today. You hear that we're going to talk about Christ's second coming. And maybe for you, you kind of can feel immediately like, you know what? They, these things can be hard to understand. Like, you know, when's it going to happen? 
Are all the guys who predict the dates, like, are any of them going to be right? You know, what about, what about this thing called the Great Tribulation? That doesn't sound good. I don't want to be here for it, but am I going to be here for it? Maybe that's your question. We hear about the Antichrist. Who is it? Are we going to see him? What's this Mark of the Beast thing? When I was a kid, I remember, like, uh, they, they talked about the, this new thing called barcodes <laughs> that were put on everybody, and everybody freaked out. Is that going to be the Mark of the Beast? Now what do we hear? Maybe it's cryptocurrency. COVID-19 vaccine, whoo, watch out, right? Like, you know, it's easy for us to get confused about the end time events, for sure. The same was true for uh, the church in Thessalonica. Um, apparently, this church in Thessalonica was having a hard time understanding some things, uh, and Paul had written to them in 1 Thessalonians about Christ's return. You can read all about that in 1 Thessalonians chapter four. Now here we are, less than a year later, they're still being, you know, um, confused or having questions about certain things about Christ's return, and Paul doesn't want them to be confused, so he writes to them and addresses this. Look what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Jeff read this earlier. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. All right, so... Paul is writing right here that, he, that they will not be shaken in mind. He wants them to be steady-minded. He wants them to you know, kind of figure things out, believe the truth, and, and stand firm. Essentially, he's like, don't lose your heads about this, right? Don't freak out. Don't wig out. But they were kind of freaking out about two big questions. And the two big questions that they were asking were, did I miss the rapture? And am I now experiencing the great day of the Lord? Right, so those were the two big questions. I want to just address those one at a time. The first question they were asking, had we, have I missed the rapture? For some of you, you may be new to church. You may not even know what I mean by the word rapture, so let me just make sure we define our terms here. The word rapture means to be caught up. Uh, and the Bible teaches that there will be a moment in history when Christ will return. Um, the believers, uh, those who have died before and those who are still alive are going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. We talked about this in our study a, a couple months ago in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I just want to remind you what Paul had written to them previously in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15 through 18. Paul wrote and said this, For this we declare to you by, the word, by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will forever be with the Lord. Encourage one another with these words. Right? That... That is the passage about the believers being caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Paul had previously taught the Thessalonian church that a rapture day would happen. Now here they are wondering, did it already happen? Did we miss it? We know that they were concerned about that because of what Paul says in verse 1. Concerning the coming of Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you not to be shaken. Right? That's what he says. So Paul you know, is addressing their first question. Did we miss the rapture? Now, why were they even thinking this way? Why were they dealing with this question? Again, Paul tells us why. He says in verse one and two, we ask you brothers not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. Why? 
either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, right? So what we see here based off Paul's comments is that, you know, there were reasons why they were asking these questions and figured out and kind of freaked out about it. It's obvious that somewhere along the way, someone had come to them with a teaching that kind of shook them up. Perhaps they had a feeling inside based off something that someone had come with a word from the Lord or a word of prophecy, something that someone had come and preached or taught to them, kind of like the way I'm preaching or talking to you now. Or maybe somebody uh, had written a false letter to them, but they had signed it, you know, sincerely the Apostle Paul. This is, but they, they, maybe it was a false letter from the Apostle Paul. Maybe it was a combination of all those things. We're not exactly sure, but someone other than Paul had shared some sort of teaching and ideas with them that were making them get shaky about Christ's return. And they weren't just wondering, did I miss the rapture? But there's a second question they were asking, and that second question is, were, were they now experiencing the day of the Lord? Were they now experiencing the day of the Lord? Again, for those of you guys who may be new-ish to God's word or brand new to God's word, the day of the Lord is a phrase that's used repeatedly. We need to remember what it is. Um, it includes many things, but including specifically what the day of the Lord is often spoken about in reference to is a, a time of God's severe judgment um, in the world. God sends Christ to defeat all the enemies of the gospel. That's going to include people who oppose the church. It's going to include the Antichrist. It's going to include Satan himself. On the day of the Lord, Christ will come and he will condemn his enemies and he will deliver the saints. That's all the uncomfortable stuff that we talked about in last week's sermon. So if you weren't here last week or if you missed the sermon, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. But this is, again, just a reminder of what we covered last week about the day of the Lord. Paul writes to them in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, a previous chapter, verses 6 through 10. And he says, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Right? This is Paul's teaching to them about the day of the Lord and its coming and what it would entail. And here's, again, the reason why he's mentioning this is because some people, because some people had been taught that they were presently in the day of the Lord, then they were concerned that they had previously missed the rapture. You guys see what's going on there? If the rapture comes before the day of the Lord and you're still around for the day of the Lord, then apparently you missed the rapture, right? So they were concerned um, that they were in the day of the Lord and Paul didn't want them to be shaken by a spirit or a word or a letter. Um, he didn't want them to think that the day of the Lord had already come. So just to kind of recap all that, two questions that were shaking them. Were they experiencing the day of the Lord right then? Had the rapture already come and they missed it? You can see how this would totally shake people up. Like imagine if you were in their shoes and you knew what was coming on the great day of the Lord and you're thinking, oh no, we've been left behind. The judgment's gonna come now. And God has already rescued the believers and we know he's just gonna destroy everybody else who's left. We don't wanna be here for that, right? You can see why it was shaking them up. So 
Paul didn't want them to be shaken. He didn't want them to believe that they had missed the rapture or, or that they were in the day of the Lord. He doesn't want them to be deceived by these other teachings that they had heard or read. And so here's what he says in verse three of 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul, 2 Thessalonians 2. Paul says, let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless... So Paul is saying, I want to give you some clarity here. Here's some reminders. There's going to be some things that have to happen. And you need to remember those things. Remember these truths so you don't get caught up in this deception. He's calling them to believe the truth that he had taught them and that he's reiterating now. He says, don't be worried that the day of the Lord has come because other things have to happen first. Anybody, uh, maybe you've heard this or said this yourself. Anybody uh, kind of been exposed to the, the phrase where people will just say, hey, um, we better be ready because Jesus could come at any moment, right? Like, now, I, I think I've said that and uh, people have said it to me and on one hand, I totally get it because the Bible tells us very clearly, no man knows the day or the hour when Christ will come. So we don't know for sure when it's happening, so we do need, we don't know for sure when it's coming, so we do need to be ready. A little bit of nuance belongs alongside that, though, because on the other hand, we might want to think about this a little bit more because this passage is telling us that certain things have to happen before the day of the Lord comes. All right, so Paul is essentially telling them this, and this is the big idea for the sermon today. Believe the basic truths about the events of Christ's coming and your faith will be strengthened, not shaken. Right? That's the call for us today. That's Paul's point to the believers who are receiving this letter. Believe the basic truths about the events of Christ's coming and your faith will be strengthened, not shaken. That's what we're gonna kind of hone in on today. That's what I hope you leave here believing and acting upon in your life. When, you work, when we work through this text, here's what you're gonna see today. You're gonna see three events that the Bible says are gonna happen before Christ comes and one important event that's gonna happen during Christ's coming. We're gonna cover those things. I wanna close with some very personal, practical questions for you to consider and I trust that if you believe these truths from God's word today, you're gonna leave here encouraged. You're gonna be leaving encouraged because of Christ's return. Now, let's talk about them. Three things that will happen before the day of the Lord. One at a time. First of all, the rebellion will be realized. Right? The rebellion will be realized. Look with me at verse 3. Paul says, hey, certain things aren't going to happen. Uh, that day will not come unless, verse 3, the rebellion comes first. The rebellion comes first. In the original language, the Greek language that the New Testament was written in, the word rebellion is the word apostasia. It's where we get our idea of apostasy. Some of your English translations of scripture would uh, not use the word um, rebellion here, but it would use the word apostasy. And what the scripture is saying is that before the Lord comes, there's gonna be a great rebellion. There's gonna be a great return, like a turning away from the Lord. 
Some people believe that, you know, uh, people from the church are going to fall away. Others believe that the church isn't going to be involved in this at all. Personally, I actually believe it's going to be a mixture of the two. I think you can see both happening in Scripture, but I think it all ties into your theology of the church, and this is why, part of why I wanted to make sure we taught about the doctrines of the church in our previous, uh, previously last year, because what have we learned in the doctrines of the church? That the church is both visible and invisible. There is the church visibly as we see it, but there's also the church invisibly as God sees it. In other words, in the local church right now, in our church and in all the other assemblies, there are true believers and false believers in the church. We covered this a lot when we went through the book of Mark and the book of Jude um, last year and two years ago. But what have we talked about? True believers in the church are gonna have marks of fruit in their life and one of the fruit uh, that they will produce in their life is that they will persevere through suffering. False believers are gonna fall away during suffering. So imagine this rebellion that occurs. There's going to be a falling away. What's gonna be happening there? It's not that people are gonna be losing the salvation that they once had, it's that they're gonna be proving themselves to having been false believers all along. Yeah, sure, in the church, but not truly part of the, the true church, the invisible church, the true believers. And when this happens, there's gonna be this general worldwide rebellion against God and that's going to include the false church. And they are gonna come under the wrath and the destruction that God will bring through Christ that we talked about last week. A lot of detail that could be shared there, but frankly, just don't have time to do it all. What we need to understand is that there's going to be a great apostasy before Christ comes. A rebellion will be realized. That's the first thing that will happen before the day of the Lord. Here's the second thing. The Antichrist will be revealed. The Antichrist will be revealed. Paul says, yes, this rebellion will occur, but also in verse three, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. So the man of lawlessness, the, the Antichrist is gonna be a man, he's gonna be a person. He's gonna be a real human being that lives in lawlessness, total disregard for the law and the will of God. Look what he does in verse four. This man will oppose, uh, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. All right, so get what's going on here. When the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, when he shows up, he won't just be an affront to Christianity. He's gonna be an affront to every world religion, every so-called so God. He's gonna demand allegiance to himself. He's gonna set himself up to be God. You know, he will, he'll even set himself up in the temple. You can read about this and here in 2 Thessalonians, but also in other passages. Hasn't been a temple in Jerusalem since 70 AD or so, and you know, there's gonna be a temple in some way there, and he's gonna sit himself on the throne there. There's gonna be what the Bible calls this abomination of desolation, and he's gonna consider himself to be God. These are all things that Paul is saying. Look for this. When you see this, you know that the day of the Lord is, is coming. So then in verse five, Paul tells them to remember what he taught them before. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Well, <clears throat> it's nice for him to say that to them then, but we weren't there when Paul taught them all these things, right? Like, Wish I could have been with him in those uh, you know, three or four weeks that he kind of taught the church in Thessalonica before the mobs ran him out of the city. Wish we could have been there. 
But we, know, we don't know what all these things were that he taught them, but at minimum, some of the, these things that he taught them are this idea of the rebellion and the man of lawlessness who's gonna come. And the Thessalonians knew that those two things would happen before the day of the Lord. And verse six tells us that Paul had apparently taught them about something that would be required to happen before this Antichrist is revealed. And this is our third thing that's gotta happen before the day of the Lord. It's the third point. It's this, that the restrainer would be removed, right? So the rebellion would be realized, which by the way, realized, I don't mean you, you comprehend it or understand it. I mean, it comes to reality. The Antichrist will be revealed and then the restrainer will be removed. Look at verse six. And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. The him and the he and the his here is, again, it's a reference to the Antichrist. So there's a restraint against this man of lawlessness, the Antichrist going on. And the Thessalonians, they knew what was restraining him. Apparently, Paul had taught them about this restrainer. Again, too bad he didn't just write it out here so that the rest of us would have it for posterity's sake. But... This has been a controversy like for a long time, right? There's all these debates about who's the restrainer? Is it the Holy Spirit? Is it the government? Is it man's conscience? Is it the church? Some people think it's even Satan himself. We don't know for sure. There's no directly clear answer in the scripture. There's hints and a lot of people have their own thoughts and opinions on where it is. But here's one thing we do know clearly from scripture. God is sovereign over all things. So even whoever the restrainer is, God is ultimately controlling that person or that thing, or entity, or whatever your opinion is. God is ultimately in control of the man of lawlessness and how things get revealed. So Paul talks more about this restrainer in verse seven. Verse seven says, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. So you gotta catch what the Apostle Paul is saying right here. The man of lawlessness is gonna be revealed later, but the mystery of lawlessness, it's already here now. There is a person called the Antichrist who will be revealed in the future, but there is the work of the Antichrist, the spirit, the attitude, you know, this, um, the, the stuff of the Antichrist that's already going on in the present, right? The, the Apostle Paul knew that the spirit of the Antichrist was at work. The other apostles knew this as well, John writes about it. The Apostle John writes about it in 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. I'll just read these to you. It says, By this, believers, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. But this is the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was, was coming and is now in the world already. So what, what is the Spirit of the Antichrist? It's anything that does not confess that Jesus is from God. That, that's not that complex, right? The, the, the Antichrist is, is very uh, kind of uh, tricky to understand, but the, the spirit of the Antichrist isn't. Any, any words, any articles, any laws, any people, any attitudes, everything that is um, kind of in opposition to the confession that Jesus Christ is from God, you know, that is Antichrist. So the spirit of the Antichrist is already here. We can see it in our world all around us. During this time, the time of the Thessalonians, and even till now, the restrainer, whatever that is, is here too. 
But eventually the restrainer is going to be removed and the man, uh, the, the man, the Antichrist, is going to be revealed later. And this is all going to happen before the day of the Lord. Now it's very interesting stuff. In some ways it's kind of scary or sad stuff. It's kind of like bad news, right? I mean, there's the rebellion's going to be realized. The Antichrist is going to be revealed. The restrainer is going to be removed. Those are weighty things. They're all going to happen before the day of the Lord. But there's one thing that will occur during the day of the Lord that is good news. Good news for the church. Good news for believers. It says this in verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. I want you to catch that. The Lord Jesus is going to kill the Antichrist. The Lord Jesus will do so just by showing up and opening his mouth. Right? Like when, when I open my mouth and speak words right now and take a breathe in, breathe out, like not much happens. But let's not forget when the Lord opens his mouth, when he breathes out, things happen. He speaks and the universe comes into existence. Right? He speaks, thus saith the Lord, and the future comes true. He, he, sp- he breathes out on the cross, breathed his last breath, and man's redemption was accomplished. He's getting ready to ascend back to heaven, and he breathes, and his apostles receive the Holy Spirit. And one day he's going to breathe, and the Antichrist is going to die. If you find yourself concerned about the day of the Lord, yes, you need to understand what comes before, but you also need to rejoice in what comes during. Jesus is going to win the day, and I'm looking forward to that. So he wins the day by defeating this man of lawlessness, the Antichrist. We learn more detail about this Antichrist here in the next few verses. I just want to make some commentary on these. Verse 9 says, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. So again, the Antichrist is going to be a real person performing real actions, real signs and wonders going to be done by him. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be mind-blowing, and he's going to do it all by Satan's power. Listen, side note for all of us in the room. Some, think that, that some people think that only miracles and signs and wonders that they can only be done by the power of God. What do we learn here? Signs and wonders can also be done by the power of Satan. Remember Pharaoh's magicians that were working wonders in, in Exodus chapter three, I believe. Remember in the book of Acts, Simon the sorcerer did many things. He wasn't saved. Did many, signs and wonders can be done by the power of Satan. And not only will these Amazing miracles be done by the power of Satan, but people will be drawn to believing in this person. He will deceive them as he works these signs and wonders. So he comes with these signs and wonders, and verse 10 says that he comes also with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. Right? This guy's going to be a deceiver. He's going to deceive people with what he says and what he does. It's not like uh, the Antichrist is going to show up one day and be like, hey, everybody, hello, I am the Antichrist. I'm the guy that was written about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Nice to meet you. Doing everything I'm doing under the power of Satan. Come follow me. <laughs> Let's have a nice little, little, nice little ride together. Like, none of that's going to happen. He's going to deceive people. 
And his deception is gonna be for those who are perishing. Look at the rest of verse 10. Those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. We're gonna come back to that in just a moment and how it ties into us. But they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Verse 11 ties right into that. It says, therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. You know, do you ever have those moments when you're reading the Bible and you're like, wait, what did I just read? God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. Like, sometimes the Bible tells us things that we don't expect, shakes up our view. Why does God send them a strong delusion? Verse 12, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The Bible is clearly telling us that in this lifetime, right now, there will be people who have rejected God over and over again. They have made up their mind that the claims of Christianity, the teachings of God's word are are unacceptable. Any idea that that there's this God who has a son named Jesus who came to the earth and, and died for sinners, that's just absurd. And so if there is no God and there's no Jesus who, who is a savior from sin, if there's not even this thing called sin that we need to be saved from, then why avoid sin? Just take pleasure. And all these things that the Bible calls unrighteousness, man, we'll just, make them, we'll just they'll be fine for us. We'll just do them. We'll take joy in them. And they have enjoyment in their sin. And there will come a point, listen to me, when God gives them over to their own rebellion. In that way, God sends them a strong delusion. Romans chapter one talks more about this if you wanna read Romans chapter one on your own. But this is part of the judgment that God sends on them for rejecting the gospel and embracing their sin. Does this make God unjust? No. This is the just and right enactment of holiness upon a sinful mankind. And this is, what in store, this is what is in store for those who do not accept and love the truth. So let's talk about some questions for us to consider. Let's bring it home for us. Now, we understand these 13 verses a little bit better, 12 verses a little bit better. Now let's talk about what it means for us. First one is this. Do you not only believe the truth about Jesus but also love it? Do you believe the truth about Jesus? That's first, but do you also love the truth that you say you believe? Because verse 10 says that we must not only know the truth, but but love it. And people who don't love the truth are gonna end up under condemnation. This is so important for us in the church. I can't tell you how much this is stirring up my spirit and in preparation because I am concerned that we have loads of people in the church who are filled with Bible information They know a ton about Jesus, but their hearts are, they're not in love with him at all. And that's a a troubling thing for me. I get passionate, I raise my voice about it, not because I'm mad at you, I'm, I'm mad that it happens. I'm mad that the enemy can deceive believers that way. I'm concerned about it in the church as a whole and in our church sometimes even. Because think about this, I could put our church doctrinal statement up here right now and read it out. I could read to you portions of, of the, the scripture that Jesus is the son of God, that, did, you know, that he came to the earth, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross, that he rose again, that he's gonna come back. I could read all those things out loud and I could ask Satan, is that true? And he would say yes. Because it's not about believing the truth 
in the sense of acknowledging that it's true. It's about loving the truth. Do you love the truth? Everybody in this room, you really, all of us need to search our hearts and ask ourselves that question. Do, isn't, am I just accepting the facts about Jesus? Or do I actually love him? You know you are a Christian when there's been a heart change. Becoming a Christian isn't about passing the true and false Bible quiz. It's about having a heart change that loves Jesus and those who escape the judgment of God aren't those who simply align with the truth mentally. It's they love the truth with their heart. Guys, I know that some of us have a problem with the judgment of God coming upon people but you have to know this. Let, let's be reminded, like, this is the truth of Scripture. Salvation through Jesus Christ is a gift. It's a gift. Rescue and redemption f- from your sin and rescue from the wrath of God, that's a gift. And all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But for those who don't call upon the name of the Lord, they won't be saved. They will be condemned. In fact, the scripture says they're condemned already. John chapter three, verse 17. People wrestle with this. Can all paths lead to God? Can't there be multiple ways to God? And I just wanna say, if you're wrestling through this as a believer or even as a non-believer, let me say to you, you need to settle that issue in your heart because the big deal isn't that God should have made many ways for people to be saved and have their sin forgiven. The big deal is that God made any way at all. And the way he made is through Jesus. Repentance from sin, faith in Christ. Jesus Christ crucified for sinners and rebels like you and me. The big issue isn't, why didn't God make many ways? The big issue is, why, why would he ever have made a way at all? We don't deserve it. You can either hate the fact that there's not multiple ways or you can love the fact that he made one way and you can come to him and you can come to know and believe the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've never trusted in Christ as your savior, you need to do so today. Take the one way. Here's the second application question for us. Do you believe that the events surrounding the return of Christ will actually happen? Do you, do you really believe that these events that we talked about today, do you believe that they're gonna happen? Do you really believe that there's gonna be this rebellion and this great falling away, like where people in the church, all, think about how many people are part of church services even today, this morning. Can, can, do you believe that there's gonna be a great falling away at some point? Because if you don't, you need to open up your eyes to the reality of how many people are walking away from the Lord and leaving his church and capitulating to the pressure of culture and various things, you know. Are your eyes open to that reality that there's going to be a great rebellion one day? Do you you actually believe in your heart that a person, an antichrist will come? Do you actually believe that there's gonna be this leader who has so much power and ability you know, and he's going to be, have appeal. He's going to have so much appeal that people are going to actually worship him as God. Who would tolerate? Like, we can't imagine it. That, you know, how, how could somebody be uh, recognized as being God? So much so that he exalts himself among all the so-called gods in the world. What does this look like? Like, 
it becomes more realistic to me the more that we start to see people kind of embracing the ideas of tolerance and religious pluralism and universalism and various things that say, you know what, like, can't we just all put aside our differences and lay aside our religions and our truth claims? And I can see how it would become very possible in our day and age now for someone to become winsome enough that he's exalted above every so-called God and religion. Do you believe the Antichrist is gonna come and he's gonna become so deceptive that people would actually follow him as God? Doesn't that seem, that kind of seems so unthinkable to us. Somebody shows up and they, they claim to be God. I, I could say one thing that opened my eyes to how much more probable, much more uh, realistic this has become in our day and age. It actually occurred during the 2008 presidential election. I saw something and again it provoked me in my spirit. In just a second we're going to play this video clip from a musical artist named Will I Am. And in 2008, he made a song called We Are the Ones. And it's this song that's really uh, promoting all these things surrounding President Barack Obama. And let me just say this right now. I'm gonna play this video clip. It is about Barack Obama. I'm gonna tell you right now, this is not hate on Barack Obama. This is, I'm not putting this out there to say that if you voted for Barack Obama that you took the mark of the beast. I'm not saying that Barack Obama is the Antichrist. Please don't hear it that way. I'm actually showing you this clip so that you can see how people are so inclined to follow a person so, uh, what's the right word, so willingly that it becomes almost like religion to them. I want you to check out this 60 second clip. I watched that video and I, I thought to myself, this sounds like a church worship song. <laughs> Lift your hands and sing. Did you hear what that one lady said? It's almost like he brings revival to people's souls. Now listen, again, I am not saying Barack Obama is the Antichrist. I'm not saying that if you voted for him, you somehow joined in the rebellion. I'm just saying people are going to follow. They're so susceptible to following somebody who can, they think that can unite the world. So don't tell me anymore that we live in a world where that's not possible. We can see it. The popularity of that song and the people joining in was was wild during the 2008 election. There's going to be a great deception during the time of the Antichrist that people are going to choose to actively worship someone as if that person is God. Think about yourself. I mean, what would you do? What would you do if somebody showed up in your life and they could work signs and wonders? What if they worked up in your life, in your family? They did something unbelievable. They, they prayed over you and you were healed of cancer. They spoke a word, they did some action and some tragedy with your child or a loved one was averted. They, they foretold the future, they predicted things came true. What would you do? You'd be inclined to trust that person, to follow them. What if that person then asked you to do something that was against the teaching of God's word? What would you do? Would you do it? Part of why the Apostle Paul wrote these words was so that people wouldn't do it. 
This is part of why God has given us the scripture. So that we don't just blindly follow along. Because many people are going to just blindly follow along, ignore the teaching of the Bible, go along with signs and wonders and other experiences. So at a minimum, church family, don't let your faith rest in somebody who can work signs and wonders. This can be done by Satan for your deception. You've got to know your Bible. You've got to know the truth. If you don't know the teaching of the truth, you're going to be led astray like everybody else. And it's realistic for me to see the progression of the world leading this way. Again, you know, we kind of think everything's a conspiracy theory, and I'm right with you guys, too many conspiracy theories, but I will say this, that in my 44 years of life, things have moved towards globalism and one world ideals and technology that's made worldwide communication possible, worldwide banking, worldwide identification We've gone through a worldwide scare recently, something so scary that the whole world kind of came together to try to beat it. We had people suggesting that if you don't have your vaccine card, you shouldn't be able to travel and go here or there, go in certain stores and buy stuff. You know, so what does that say to me? It doesn't say to me that we're in the tribulation. It doesn't say to me that we're, you know, we are in the middle of the day of the Lord, but it says to me, don't be stupid. It could actually happen. So do you believe that this stuff will really happen? That's the second question. And here's the third one, just pastorally speaking from my heart to your hearts as a church family. Are we willing to unify on the basic truths about Christ's return and not divide over the finer details? Are we willing to unify on the basic truths about Christ's return and not divide over the finer details? Guys, I know that many of us love to come up with our best understanding of the end time events and we get Locked into our positions on pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, pre-mill, post-mill, everything else. Honestly, it's kind of interesting and fascinating to me too. I'll just put it out there so nobody's wondering. For the record, I personally lean towards a post-tribulational, pre-millennial return of Christ. Just so you guys know, I don't, I don't see how the Apostle Paul could say, hey, you're going to see all these events, church, before the day of the Lord. But then if the church gets raptured up, and they're not there to see him, like, I don't see how that could work. But here's the thing. I readily admit I could be wrong. And if you're right, if you believe in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church, if you're right, I'm going to be high-fiving you in the air on our way out. All right, we're going to be good. I'm like, dude, you were right. I was wrong. I'm so happy about it. But I hope, if even if you disagree with my understanding, I hope you'll lovingly work with me the same because I think here are some things that we can all agree on. Things are going to get bad here, but Jesus is coming back and at some point the dead are going to rise and we who are alive are going to meet him in the air and inevitably Jesus is going to reign, Satan's going to get crushed and we're going to forever be with the Lord. We can take hope in that if we believe the truth. So, What's the point of this sermon? Believe the basic truths about the events of Christ's coming and your faith will be strengthened, not shaken. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have uh, covered some uh, thought-provoking, sobering, exciting things in your word over these past two weeks. And now, Lord, I want to pray in Jesus' name that if there's anybody in our church who might be 
attending church, but might even agree with the facts of the Bible, but their hearts have not been transformed to love the truths of Jesus Christ and who he is. Lord, I pray that you would change their hearts today. Would they set aside their pride, admit their need for a savior, and wholeheartedly, readily embrace the cross. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross to pay for our sin. Lord, I pray for anybody who's here today, and honestly, they're hearing this, and their hearts are just getting harder and harder against your word because they don't like it. Lord, would you please patiently, as your word says, you are uh, not willing that any uh, should perish, but that all should come to repentance, so you patiently wait. Lord, I pray that you would help them see that part of your patient waiting today is so that they could hear this message and have another chance to turn and be saved and soften their hearts towards you. So Lord, I pray, soften people's hearts. I pray, Lord, as a church, that you would let us be a people who are zealous to know your word, to remember your truth, so that if we're here when the rebellion comes and the man of lawlessness is revealed, that we will not fall away, but stay faithful to you, Lord. We want to persevere till the end. Lord, in the areas where we may have misunderstandings or questions ourselves, let us be gracious towards one another as we reason together from your word to try to understand your truth. We commit all this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.